Uh, I wanted to um, feel like I hadn't been here in a month. Uh, we've been gone for two weeks, and uh, that was, ironically, all of that was planned. Um, we, we had state gymnastics meet a couple weeks ago, and ours is almost always on Sundays, and that's, I take one Sunday a month, a year off, so that I can go watch my girls in the state gym meet, and then last week we had the Washburn family reunion. It's the first time we've been together since mom and dad and sis were killed in the, in the car wreck, and so we just decided every year on Memorial Day, that was the last time the whole family had gotten together other than the, than the funeral. So we decided we were going to do that every year. So God knew all of that. God knew that we were going to be out and, and Joe was already planning to preach before uh, stuff hit our family. And so today uh, I'm really, I'm, I'm sharing from the scripture, but I'm also sharing from the heart. And, uh, and so I, I don't know if I'm going to make it through or not, but uh, y'all just, y'all just pray and, and we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in the New Testament are what we call the Gospels, which simply means good news. It's the story of Jesus, his life, his perfect life on, on earth, his, his death as a substitute for sin, and, and then his resurrection from the dead. Now, if he had only died for sin, that, would have, that wouldn't have been that big a deal because people die all of the time but he did not stay dead, and he rose from the grave, and you and I do not have to pay our own price for our, our sins. Jesus Christ has offered to pay for them. All you have to do is accept it like you would accept a gift. This is really, really hot. Every time I do anything, can you take, there we go. Much better. It's kind of distracting when you hear yourself like that. Um, okay, so all you, all you have to do to be adopted into God's family is to accept what Jesus Christ has done. So the first four chapters of the New Testament called the Gospels, which means good news. Then we come to Acts, and Acts is what next? Jesus has left the earth. He's, he's trained his disciples, and they're going to go out and spread the news about him all over the world. So Acts is what happened after Jesus left the earth. And if you study Acts, you get a clear picture of what the church, any church, healthy, functioning church should look like. Now, the early church was dealing with some stuff called persecutions because it was persecution. It was not cool to be a Christian. In fact, you could die for becoming a Christian. You could be tortured to try to get you to renounce the name of Christ, and, and you could be uh, stoned. You could be uh, crucified. There's all kinds of things that could happen to you. And, and uh, riots were happening in the church uh, because of the church in the New Testament. People were getting beat up and all kinds of stuff. And, and, you know, when I think about someone getting stoned, what that literally means is they would drag you outside the city. They would pick up rocks, about softball-sized rocks, and they would throw them at you until it killed you. Now, to me, that's like one of my worst, top worst 10 ways to die. It's like being gnawed to death by rats or being stoned. I don't know which one is at the top of my list, but it's a bad way to go, all right? So what I want you to understand is it's nothing new that Christians today face difficult times. Let me just ask, how many of you are going through a difficult time? Anyone? All right, a few of you. Nothing new. Now, I, I'm not saying that to say your problems aren't difficult, but they are. But let's just look at a couple of the, the big names in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, about the problems that they faced, and let's see how they handled the problems. First of all, Paul. Paul wrote half of the New Testament. He persecuted Christians, actually participated. He didn't throw the rocks, but he participated in the stoning of one of the very first deacons, Stephen, and, and before he was converted to Christianity. Here's what Paul said once he became a Christian, once he started churches all over the known world. He wrote half of the New Testament. Here's what he said about his life. Five times 
the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now what that means is there, there was a rod or there was a whip and, and they could legally, they could whip you 40 times. And so the Jews didn't ever want to break any laws. And so they would only whip you 39 times in case the whipper guy got lost in his count. And he didn't want to go over because God forbid you should give 41 lashes so we can give 39. All right. So he gets, said five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's, that's a lot. Three times I was beaten with rods. Same difference, only a big rod. All right, they beat you with it 39 times because we didn't want to go 41. Once I was stoned, and it had nothing to do with marijuana. All right, you with me? There was nothing, you weren't getting high on this one. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I had traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people. The Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. And, and see, back then, Jew was anybody who, who was born into the Jewish race. Gentiles was everybody else. So just out of curiosity, we have any Jews here? So how many Gentiles? This is a test. How many Gentiles do we have here? All right. Some of you still had not figured it out. Your neighbor will tell you in a minute. You're a Gentile. Look at somebody and say, you're a Gentile, just to make sure. All right. Um. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone, often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Now, is it safe to say that Paul has faced some difficulties more than you and I have faced? Is that, is that a safe bet? Okay, right. Now, I've never been beaten with rods or a whip. I got beat up by a bully one time, uh, but I've not beaten with a whip. I did get whippings with belts. I remember that. And the worst whipping I ever got, I don't even know what we did. I just know that sis was in her room and I was in the living room. And mom came to whip me and dad went to whip sis. And they were so mad at us that they swapped places. Worst whipping I ever got in my life. I don't know what I did, but, but I avoided whatever that was. The rest of my life is traumatic. Uh, but I have been beaten with, with a, uh, not beaten, but I've been whipped with a belt. That was the worst thing when you heard that, you know. How many of you remember that sound when dad pulled it out? Oh, my soul. That was like pucker everything on your body that could pucker because you were about to get lit up. Now, I have, uh, I, I, I've once, we were, actually twice we were on a ship. One time Janie and I were on a cruise and we went to uh, Progresso and Cozumel and the first time we got on the ecstasy bad ship, anyway, long story, but we, one of the, one of the uh, propel, propulsion motors went down, but we still had a good time. Now this last time we went on a cruise, Janie's sitting at the back of the ship and she's overlooking the back and I don't even remember what I was doing. I was downstairs. She's just having the best time just looking over and all of a sudden the engines cut off. Now one of the cool things about being on a cruise ship is the contrail. Contrail goes back seven, eight miles. I don't remember what they said, maybe 10 miles. You can see the contrail. It's where the ship has been. And what you never want to see, especially on the Triumph, which we know has spent five days drifting at sea, what you never want to see is the contrail to stop. And Janie, we've been on a lot of cruises, and Janie says to the guy next to her, she's looking down, she goes, the engines have stopped. And the guy next to her goes, really? And she goes, look. And so you can see the contrail does this, and then all of a sudden we start drifting. Well, I'm downstairs, and I realize all of a sudden something's going on, so I go running upstairs. And when I got a little bit concerned is when all of this wait staff at the back of the ship start coming and looking out the windows. And they're not saying a word because they're trained not to tell you, right? 
And, and so anyway, I tell you all that because we, we ran down to our stateroom and we got on Facebook and we started sending out SOS messages. Okay, here's the deal. We may not make it back. We remember, anyway, they said that it was just some fishing ship that was nearby and we were checking because nobody was in the ship. We didn't see you no know, stinking ship. But anyway, all we know is that, that everything was okay. But there for a moment, we were like, <gasps> and we would have had food and we would have had some type of communication. Can you imagine Paul? on a wooden ship in the middle of the ocean, drifting. One time, he's, he's floating on a log in the middle of the ocean. So that's, that's a pretty difficult time. So, so I've been on a ship in the middle of the ocean that I thought the, the, the uh, engines had gone out, but that's still not that big a deal. Now, I'm, I've, I've faced danger from a river, and actually my wife was in here. Usually when I share these stories, she's not in here, and so she doesn't hear all of this stuff. Now, I've faced danger from a river, but it's because I got into a flooded river in a 14-foot flat-bottom boat with a six-and-a-half-horsepower motor. Now, I was in danger, but it's not because of anything other than my own stupidity. I feel quite certain Jesus would have said, don't go in there. But I went in anyway, and God had grace on me. So I've not ever had it as bad as Paul, but that doesn't mean I haven't faced difficulty. Several years ago, um, on a Sunday night, I was, I was doing a... Uh, talk with my with my teenagers because we were about to go on a ski trip and it was a mandatory meeting and all the parents were in there and they had to sign release forms and I was giving them my itinerary and we were we were about to leave when somebody comes in and says there's been a tragic accident you need to pray because I don't think this little boy is going to live and this little boy had been hit outside our church and so we stopped and we prayed and then I walked into the emergency room and I saw the lifeless body of a six-year-old of one of my closest friends who'd been hit out, outside our church. And a few days later, um, I had to do the funeral. I was asked to do the funeral. And I'll never forget walking in the back of Southside, and nobody was there yet, and, and a six-year-old boy had a six-year-old-sized casket. And my son was five at the time. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not all that emotional. I didn't used to be. I am now. Um, get old, and you just lose it all. And this casket was sitting there. Nobody was in the, in the worship center except me and the, and the funeral home people. And I absolutely lost it. My body's heaving. And I, and, and the, I looked up and the funeral home guys are just moving out of the worship center just to give me some space. Because I thought, what would I do? What would I do if that was my son? How could I possibly face life without my son? And then I thought... Lord, how can, how can I stand in front of these people and say anything that helps them? And, and somehow God came through, and, and it was a wonderful service. And, and actually, this little boy kind of preached his own service, you know, things he'd seen and done in, in just six years of his life, and it was kind of incredible. Um, I remember being at the emergency room one time as uh, a, a member of my youth group. Nobody else in the family was there, but... He wanted to be there when his 50-something-year-old mom, when they had to pull the plug because she was, she was done and nobody else wanted to see her die. And he didn't want to be there alone. So I went in and, and stood there and, and we watched his mom breathe her last and, and die right there. And, and, and uh, I've gone through some, some very difficult times and and here lately my family has gone through some some very very difficult times and and uh you know I don't want to I don't want to be overly dramatic but I'm just going to tell you a couple of weeks ago 
um, I was at my absolute lowest that I've been in my human existence. And, and I, didn't, I didn't think about taking my life. But I did ask God, God, if this is, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Because I can't, I can't lose my family. And, and I discovered something as, as, as I look back over my life, as I've been thinking about talking to you all today. I discovered that God always walks us through difficult times. And, and most people pray during difficult times, but here's the key. Most people give up and walk away from the faith before they ever give God the opportunity to answer prayer. And I don't want to be one of those people. Now, I know in this room there's a lot of hurt, and I know, I know some of the pain that, that's in this room is caused by our own stupid choices. Sometimes to me that hurts worse because I'm like, I could have prevented this, you know. Some of the pain in this room is caused by the dumb choices of other people. And quite honestly, some of the pain is, is caused because we have a spiritual enemy who wants to destroy us. And we need to figure out which is the cause. Because when you understand that, then you can cry out to God for the specific thing you need to make it through that difficult time. Now, I want to read you something, and then, then I'm going to share with you what, what I think is the way you handle dif- difficult times. I think it comes straight from God's Word. Um, let me just set this up for you. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12. And by the way, if you have a smartphone, you can always go to Version. If you just type in 75801802803, it'll pop up our little title of the of this message. It'll have the date and it'll have the title there. You can follow through there. All of the listening guide is on Version. It's great to have your own Bible app with you. Um, but that's what that's talking about. If you ever see on our on our announcement loop, uh, Version. that's what it's talking about. It's, an, it's a free app. And I think they're up to 121 million um, downloads of that app around the world, and, and now they're shooting, no, it's, yeah, 121. I remember their first goal was to get to 100 million. They've gotten over 100 million now. Their next goal is to get to 1 billion downloads around the world so that people are carrying uh, the Bible on their phone. But in Acts chapter 2, uh, there was a king at the time called Herod Agrippa, and if you read the first couple of verses, you'll see what happened. Let me explain. His, gr- his grandfather was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that was alive when Jesus was born, had all of the babies in Bethlehem killed. Remember him? Great guy. Agrippa's uncle was Herod Antipas. He was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. So he comes from a great family. Now, the Herods pretended to be religious, but all the Jews hated them because they were just surface religious. And, and what Herod, this guy figured out, Herod Agrippa, what he figured out was every time he arrested a Christian, it made the Jews happy, which made his life easier, so he started arresting Christians. One of the things he does is he arrests and kills James. Now, you need to understand who this was. Not James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, but there were, there were three people that Jesus hung out with. He hung out with twelve. And then every time you see Jesus doing something special, it says, and he had Peter, James, and John with him. James and John were brothers. They were called the sons of thunder. And every time you see, like, when, when uh, Jesus went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, it said that he left his disciples, he took Peter, James, and John with him a little further, and then he left them to pray. When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it said he took Peter, James, and John with him. So Herod Agrippa takes one of the big three, James, kills him, And it makes the Jews happy. So he goes and arrests Peter. That's where we are. Pick it up in verse 3. Acts 12, 3. Dry mouth. 
when, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, his killing James, one of the big three, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. This is just funny to me. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. That's just really cool. Um, uh, I lost it. So they passed through the, and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from that from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked on the door at the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. All we know about Rhoda is that this, this funny little story. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind. All the, all the believers are gathered. They're praying for God to deliver Peter. When Rhoda comes and says, Peter's at the door, they're like, you're out of your mind. They didn't expect God to answer that. Um... When she insisted that it was Peter, uh, Peter standing at the door, you're out of your mind. They said when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Couldn't be him. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. That's pretty funny. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down, told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened. Now, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He said, and then he went to another place. This is so funny to me. Peter is chained up between two guards. Now, two on either side. He's actually chained. There were four squads of four soldiers outside guarding. So 16 soldiers outside locking this guy up. I'm thinking, what does Peter look like? Is he Chuck Norris? Because, I mean, he's got to be the baddest dude on the planet to have 16, because I don't see the Christians as the type who came anywhere. You remember Peter, the one who swung the sword in the garden, trying to kill, I think he was trying to kill the high priest, but instead he hits the high priest's servant's ear. (laughs) Jesus had said, get a sword. Peter's like, whack. Sucker doesn't know how to swing a sword. He cuts off the dude's ear. Okay, so I thought, he must be Chuck Norris. So I had to look up some Chuck Norris stuff. Just for fun, because this had to be what Peter was like. When Alexander Bell invented the telephone, he had three missed calls from Chuck Norris. Fear of spiders is arachnophobia. Fear of tight spaces is claustrophobia. Fear of Chuck Norris is called logic. Chuck Norris has a grizzly bear carpet in his room. The bear isn't dead. It's just afraid to move. Chuck Norris doesn't call the wrong number. You answer the wrong phone. There used to be a street named after Chuck Norris, but it was changed because nobody crosses Chuck Norris and lives. And then this one was my favorite. Chuck Norris and Superman once fought each other on a bet. The loser had to start wearing his underwear on the outside of his pants. Peter was the original Chuck Norris. 16 guards. I just think that's really funny. Second thing I noticed about this, not only was this, you know, 
unbelievably overkill all of the guards. Second thing I notice is that the night before Peter is going to die, what's one of the big three already done? Herod had killed him. What, what is he planning for Peter? He's planning to kill him. Night before he's going to die, what is Peter doing? Dude's not, you know you're going to die tomorrow. Are, are you sleeping? I'm looking around going, which one of you smelly suckers is going to kill me? Trying to figure out, I mean, my dad told me one time, he said, because dad was in World War II and he was on Guadalcanal before they were, after it was supposed to be under control and, you know, foxholes and snipers and all this stuff. And, and dad said when he, when he was in a foxhole, the night that he came to Christ, it's kind of ironic, the night that he came to Christ, he said, I was trying to figure out how I could take as many of those suckers with me before I died. Peter's asleep. I'd be thinking, this chain, I can get one of them, you know. He's not freaking out. And see, part of the deal is Peter was told by Jesus, you're going to live to be a ripe old age. And I think Peter believed him. And I think that Peter realized, if I die, I go to a place I never die again. When you have that type of assurance in the middle of something like this, you can sleep. So Peter's so sound asleep that the angel had to kick him. Bright light comes in, angel. I'd lo- I want to see all this, you know. I tell you all the time, I, w- I hope heaven has DVR. Can you replay that one, Jesus? Because bright light, smelly Romans. <laughs> hey, dude, get up! Now, I don't know, you know, I have to tell this. Janie, Janie is my witness on this. Have you ever dreamed something and you thought it was real? See, that's what I think was happening with Peter. So Janie and I take turns praying every night. And so we'll hold hands. One of the last things we do is reach over and hold hands, and then whoever's turn. It's, and so this one night, this was years ago, I was in youth ministry, and we had this kid in our youth group that, man, started off rough. And this kid came from a, ba- uh, a gang background. I mean, this kid came from a rough background. He walks into my church, and, I mean, he just doesn't fit in because we got a bunch of nice kids, you know, nice Baptist kids. He comes in anyway. As God had grace on me, I become friends with this kid. And I'm, I'm actually able to lead him to Christ. And I got to baptize him. But one night before all of that happened, Janie and I were praying. And it was my turn to pray. And so I got my, I'm holding her hand and I'm praying. And dude, it's just been a long day, long week. And I'm tired. As God is my witness, I'm praying and I go fast asleep and continue praying. And in my prayer... This kid named Brian was in the National Hockey League playing for the Dallas Stars. And I'm sitting up there watching, and I'm not a hockey fan. I'm sitting up there watching, and, and I'm going, Dear God, protect Brian. Those guys are trying to kill him. You know, I see him body checking on the wall. This is so real to me. And, and I'm just talking along, and all of a sudden I hear Janie go, What? <laughs> and I come back to the land of the living, and, I, and I'm just going. She said, did you just fall asleep in your own prayer? And I said, I sure did. I, was, I had no idea Brian played professional hockey for the Dallas Stars. But man, I think that's what's happening with Peter. Peter's sawing logs. He's snoring, having a good time, praying, sleeping, dreaming. And all of a sudden the angel kicks him. He's like, this is a sweet dream. Gates opening by themselves. Chains falling off. Nobody else wakes up. This is an awesome dream. 
Janie has those real dreams. I like have one every 10 years that I ever remember. Janie can tell you in technicolor. She tells you stuff. I don't ever remember Jack except when I fell asleep praying for Brian Vickery. <laughs> Just crazy stuff. But I think, I think that's what happened is he's so asleep and he's so at peace because the Bible says you can have a peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peter had it. Now, he didn't just a few weeks before. Remember when, when he tried to cut the, the head of somebody off and hits an ear and he runs scared and he, and he curses because some little girl said, aren't you one of his followers? Now, all of a sudden, he has the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And he's asleep in a jail cell. When he finally wakes up, he says, this is one of the coolest jailbreaks ever. No planning. Just an angel shows up. I, that's just cool. Now, if you'd bust out of jail, what would you do first? Very first thing you would be thinking if you got out of jail. Go to McDonald's, whatever. You're in jail and you're going to die the next day. You're thinking, get away from the jail, right? Run. I don't care which direction. You're just going to run. He goes and hangs out with a bunch of Christians. Where where are they going to look? I mean, it just doesn't seem very smart. Church has always been funny, but, you know, from the very beginning, church has been funny. And even though, even though our circumstances aren't the same as, as Peter's, I think we can learn something about getting out of this prison that our circumstances seem to have us in. So I'm going to give you a few things real quickly. We're late today because Jeff didn't start the, uh, the countdown on time, so just blame Jeff, right? Okay. First thing is pray. Now, that's the church answer, right? This kind of prayer is not, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food. If I'm in jail for a righteous reason, don't you dare pray that prayer for me. And with what my family's going through right now, don't pray popcorn standard prayers. Because that's not going to help us. And that's going to not help the kingdom of God. I just want to tell you that this, this group of people prayed earnestly for Peter. And I've got to tell you that on Tuesday nights, the last several Tuesday nights at 5 o'clock, there's people that gather right here. And some of us sit and some of us um, are on, the, on the, the steps here. Some of us are on our faces. People are praying. They're crying out to God. And here's the thing. It takes effort to come and pray for your church. And I'm just going to invite you to come. Of course, I won't be here this Tuesday because we're going to a Rangers game because God said it was okay. Um, but... <laughs> But you come and pray. <laughs> the point is, it takes effort to pray. And, and I learned this from one of my favorite seminary professors, is that suffering drastically reduces your wish list. So a couple of weeks ago, when, when we sat in the emergency room all night, and then when Janie and Hannah went to another place, to a facility in Arlington, I got to tell you that, that New life was not my first concern. The kind of car that I was driving was not my first concern. Your lawns that I mow was not my first concern. My thought was, God, I would give it all up for my baby girl. If you've never been through suffering, you need to, you need to go through some so that it gets your priorities back in line. 
and and I'm just going to tell you, we hadn't even figured all of this out yet, but but the board has met and and they sent me some stuff and and uh, I'm going to be taking a few weeks off because my family needs to heal. Um, I'm still going to be around, but but like I said, we hadn't even nailed all this down yet. Um, I'm, the, the marriage series that we were going to do this month, we're going to move that to August. And then because I'm doing so much marriage counseling right now, um, we're going to do a deal where I train some couples to help me do marriage counseling because it's overwhelming right now. And I just got to be quite honest with you. Um, sometimes doing the work of God can destroy the work of God in you if you try to do too much. And I've tried to do too much. And so some of y'all are going to have to step up and, and you don't have to have it all together. You just need to be further down the road than someone else. So we're going to do some training. I don't even know the date yet, but I'm going to train as many couples as want to come. I'm going to train you on how to be marriage mentors. And then we're going to go into the marriage series in, in August. And then in September, we're going we're gonna to launch our marriage mentor groups. And, and you're going to have some people that you meet with that you just listen to. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, well, I'll get to it in a minute. I'll keep going. <clears throat> Earnest prayer not only moves the heart of God, but it changes us and gives us God's perspective. Everything does not revolve around you. Everything does not revolve around me. When we pray selfishly, God's not obligated to answer that prayer. It's when we pray selfless prayers that God is honored and he answers and God does God-sized tasks. Second, relax. First thing is pray. Second is relax. When you were, when you were a kid, I don't know how many of y'all did this, but we used to always go on vacations and we drove everywhere because we were like this poor family and I don't know how we could afford gas, but we drove all over Texas. My parents one time took me because my older siblings were too much older. They took me. We drove all the way to Vancouver, um, Canada, and then we came back down through Seattle, Washington, went all the way down the coast to Los Angeles, came back over to the Grand Canyon. I mean, we did this crazy deal. And here's the thing. I would lay in the back seat, and when Dad said, we're going somewhere and it's going to be about 10 hours, I'd go to sleep, fully confident that Daddy could get me wherever we needed to go. Dad was a mechanic. We always He would pull over on the side of the road, fix the car. Got a rattle. Need to fix it. So we're, we're in the shade, and Dad's under there doing something. I didn't know what, but I fully believed my dad could fix it, and he did, and we would go on these trips, and I would rest. And when we were driving home, I remember falling asleep, and I'm not kidding, every time I would wake up right as we turned at the bottom of our street, it's half a block from this main deal where you come into Borger, I, I remember the dip that you would go through, and then I would come fully awake as we pulled the rest in the driveway home where my daddy wanted me to be. And so... You need to relax. Peter had a promise from God that he was going to be old, so he believed God he was going to live to an old age, and he didn't sweat the small stuff, like being thrown in prison, like hanging out with 16 guards. That was small stuff if God's told you that he's going to take care of you. How many of you are control freaks? Special word for you. You can't control Jack. Quicker you learn that, sooner you get the peace of God. Okay, we do everything we can in our power, but then relax. Third thing, listen and follow. If an angel wakes you up tonight and tells you to get dressed, don't you think you might have some questions for the angel? 
Um, who are you? What are you doing here? Don't you know I've got to go to work in a couple hours? What does Moses look like? I don't know. Those are just things that go through my mind if an angel shows up and wakes me up. But Peter did what he was told. That's my advice to you is whatever God tells you to do, you do it. So how do you know what God's telling you to do? Real fast, let's run through these. Number one, you hear from God's word. 95% of everything that God wants you to do in this life is contained in his word. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says this. These instructions are not empty words. They are your what? Let me say that again. These instructions are not empty words. They are your what? Your life. Most of you do not have the peace of God because you don't know the word of God. You cannot have peace of God till you have peace with God and you got to know the word of God. Usually what God does is he uses the spirit of God to show us the word of God in order to give us the mind of God. And if God's spirit isn't regularly telling you things, then here's my guess. You're not regularly in the word of God. Number three, you hear from other believers. And and this is really where I am right now because um, for the first three days, I couldn't talk about anything without breaking down because I felt like I'd I'd failed Hannah. And and I don't want to I don't want to put any undue pressure on her or anything like that. Let me let me just tell y'all this. Um, what what we need from y'all is love and prayer. Um, when I called that day, I, ca- I could actually, it was really weird, I'm talking, or when Joe called me that day and I'm talking on the phone, it was really strange to hear, you know, because sometimes there's an echo on a cell phone. So not only do I have the echo on the cell phone, I also hear in the, in the loudspeaker, it's the most bizarre thing ever, standing outside uh, this place in Wichita Falls telling y'all what was going on. Um, but what I said to you that day is here, here is what is totally fair. And some of y'all are guests, and and if you need to come talk to me, come talk to me, and I'll tell you what's going on. But this is totally fair. Anybody in our church family, anybody that comes to New Life, and they want to ask questions about what happened, I am totally open. I'm an open book. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I'll tell you what's been going on. I'll tell you where we are and what we're doing in our life. But people that don't go to New Life, can I tell you honestly, please hear where I'm coming from. I don't care what they think. Now, if they're friends of mine, which we have friends that don't go to New Life, and they have been in touch with us, and they've been on their faces praying for us. And, and so, talking amongst church members, I don't have any problem with that. Asking me questions, I don't have any problem with that. But, but where I do have a problem and where, where I will become very, very defensive of my family is if I hear talk outside the church that people don't know what they're talking about. Um. I've been amazed at how many people have gone through similar situations. I've been amazed at how many adults in this church have texted me or told me that they had similar things go through their families, through their own lives. And so um, I'm just telling you that, that gossip ticks me off, whether it's about my family or it's about your family. And we just have a policy here, that, and I've done this. If you, if you need examples, call me and I'll give you phone numbers of people that have shown up at their door and said, hey, I heard you said this. We don't do that in the kingdom of God, right? So, so I don't have any problems with you, with you asking about stuff. What, what's going to happen is our whole family is going through some type of counseling. Janie and I have got an appointment. We're going to go to counseling because we're really um, struggling with, as, as any parent would, you know, how, how did we mess up? What, what do we need to do? 
Um, Hannah's going to be going to counseling. Rachel has the opportunity to go to counseling if she wants to. There's nothing, that's not a four-letter word. That's not, a, that's not something that you have to be ashamed of. Some of my favorite pastors in the United States go to counseling because there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. So what I'm asking you all to do is love us. Somebody, um, somebody stopped yesterday. I was mowing in the rain because, <laughs> like, if it's going to happen, it happens to me, you know. So, like, I'm mowing in the rain yesterday because my mower was jacked up on Friday. So I'm mowing in the rain, and, and, this, and Ricky and Debbie stopped out, out front, and they said, hey, we just saw you, and we wanted to say hi to you, and we want to ask how you're doing. I said, I'm doing okay. And I said, I'm grateful to God that, that I'm in New Life Community Church because our church is different than any church I've ever been in. And Debbie said, you got that right. Debbie was one of those people that didn't want to come to church. And when Ricky was dating her, he said, you have to come to church or I'm not going to marry you. And he gave her a time limit and she, the last date she came. And she fell in love with Jesus, the Jesus that is practiced and preached and shown in this church. And so if I got to go through difficulty, I want to go through it with this group of people. I got to finish up. I got to shut up. I do talk for a living. Y'all realize that, right? Number three is you hear from other believers. This is where I am. I'm listening to other believers who are telling me what I need to do. One of the things that, that the board is telling me that I need to do is take a break from counseling until September. Uh, not personally. I've got to go to counseling, but counseling others until September. Number four, praise. A lot of times we pray and we get something, we forget to thank God. Do you remember what, what Peter did when he, he goes, oh, God did this. In the middle of the street, when the angel disappeared, when he wakes up, God did this. We need to thank God. Last week, we were sitting in worship uh, at my, one of my great friend's church, and, and it was long worship. Hannah said, worship was forever, because they do. They go a long time there. But I was standing next to Janie, and I just noticed that she was weeping. And she said she needed every moment of that worship service to draw near to her Heavenly Father and, and to have peace. Um, so you got to praise God. Almost every night we pray that God will show us if our kids are doing something wrong and that he'll spare our lives, uh, spell, spare their lives, and, and we're just grateful that we still have all of our kids. Uh, last thing is connect with other believers, and, and then I'm going to shut up. And I just got to tell you this. Uh, I haven't met with my small group since the 1st of May, and I miss you guys. Our small group is radically honest. Our small group loves to be around each other. And I can't wait until we get back together um, because I need my small group to help me through this difficult time. The message of the Bible is that we're all messed up. And if you're a perfect person, this church isn't for you. You need to leave because you'll mess up our our. Our, our messed up people, you know, we're all messed up. And if you're perfect, we can't deal with you. We can't relate to you. You need to go somewhere else. Um, we can't relate to you. So only messed up people are allowed to come here. And, and we, the other message of the Bible is that we can't do life on our own. We need a greater power outside of us. And so we're calling on God to come and, and to, to heal our family and, and to help our family. I told Hannah this. She, we were driving home, and, and I looked back, and I said, I fully believe that your story is going to save somebody's life. And, and she took a picture. I didn't even know she did this. She took a picture. She said, Daddy, can I post this? And so I said, yeah, she can post it. She posted it, and she said, I'm an overcomer. 
Um, it's one of our favorite songs, and it's kind of our, um, our story of what's going on in our lives. We are overcomers, and through Christ's power, that's the message we're going to proclaim the world. Let's stand together. Father, we just want to thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for these people who have been closer to me than blood relatives during this time. And I pray, God, that you would pour out your love and your mercy in each of their lives. And I pray, God, that, that all of us can learn who you are, especially during difficult times. Because if Christianity doesn't work during difficult times, then what use is it? But you took the most difficult thing, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the most unjust thing, and you turned it into the hope of the world. And so, God, if we will just pray and wait, we believe that you'll make us all overcomers. God, we thank you for a chance to worship you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.